Blog Talk Radio. Radio on a Thursday night. We are back after our week off. Drew, I have to say, it is nice to be back because I was greeted as the producer to Blog Talk Radio lagging again. <laughs> Story of BAMS Radio's career. I am yeah. Thomas Watts. I am the producer, and I grabbed the intro because Carrie's run a little late, and I just have two things to say given the recent ridiculousness from the uh, our friends over in College Station. We do not renege on commitments on this show. We said we'd be back, and here we are. And we don't need to go to Twitter to call you a bitch. We'll call you a bitch to your face. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit weird in College Station uh, over the last seven, eight, nine months, and I was just reminiscing uh, this afternoon, Thomas. I was uh, on the basically on the 40-yard line with great seats, not a member of the media at the time when – Johnny Boy uh, brought the uh, Texas A&M Aggies to uh, Alabama in 2012 and outlasted uh, Texas A&M. And I'll never forget because I was behind the A&M bench and just watching Kevin Sumlin strut around after they got the the last uh, – after they scored. And then, uh, of course, we were able to get that last stop to beat Alabama. And I thought to myself, well, it's been a, uh, a, a an interesting three years since that time for Mr. Sumlin. He had – he hasn't done too much strutting, and he's had his uh, head caved in twice in, his, in, uh, in his college station by Alabama. Well, Drew, honk if you're a five-star quarterback and you've left Texas A&M because you're not getting coached. That's all I'm going to say about that. But I did get Kerry on. Kerry, how you doing this evening? Doing well, guys. How are y'all? Pretty good. Making fun of Texas A&M to start the show. It, it feels good to be back. Yeah, they graduated from a dumpster fire to a junkyard tire fire now. Pretty much, uh, they've uh, they've got it's going to be an interesting year for uh, Kevin Sumlin and uh, those guys in College Station. They need to get back up in the upper echelon of the West, or uh, they're going to go Tom Herman hunting. Yeah, and they may have to fight Texas for him. Well, could very well, depending on how it goes for Charlie Strong. That's that's going to be an interesting uh, dynamic to follow uh, in the uh, SEC coming up, and also with Tennessee as well. They. They're writing a lot of checks with their mouths. We'll see if their butts can cash them. Uh, but uh, as we know, Jonathan Kongbo, after being, uh, you know, basically snubbed by Alabama, has done nothing but run his trap and talk about how they're going to go undefeated. Of course, that would be nice, but considering that Tennessee uh, hasn't done that since uh, 1998, I don't know if I'd be uh, running my mouth too much. And, and of course, uh, you know, we, even Bob Shoup saying he didn't think anybody was going to run on Tennessee. Well, I do think Bob Shoup is an improvement from John Jancic and a great move by Butch Jones. But, again, if I'm a program who has been mired in mediocrity for most of the past decade and hadn't beat you know, the Florida Gators uh, for 11 years and hadn't beaten Alabama for nine and just recently stopped a five-game winning streak of the Georgia Bulldogs, which pretty much means you're losing at least three, four, five games a year, I'm not so sure I'd be doing that. But uh, just we'll see how good Tennessee is. On paper, they should have a, the best team in the East. 
Uh, Josh Dobbs is a good quarterback. I don't know about great, but he's good, very solid. Offensive line, still not sold on their physicality. I, I watched the Tennessee spring game. I thought it reminded me of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, you know, Bush Jones on a uh, on uh, on a microphone walking around doing. And, uh, and to me, when you continue to to mo- your mantra is we have to get more physical. If you have to say that, you're not. Period. But that's just my well, take on it. My take is that we may have to play them twice. So e- even if they do win in Knoxville, I would bet uh, two months mortgage that the rematch in December would go Alabama's way. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe beat them twice. I don't know. But even if they win that first one, I think there will be a rematch in Atlanta. And if there's a rematch in Atlanta, you're not going to beat Saban twice in one year. I'll just say that. You may be correct on that, Kerry. We'll see. I still like uh, Alabama's chances even in Knoxville. I think they're still a better football team. I think they're going to be elite defensively. Uh, should be very good in the kicking game, especially – uh, if Xavion Marks is the answer to kick returner, I do think Griffith will be fine. I, I do think that uh, J.K. will be the best punter in America. Uh, but And then defensively, like I said, I think they've got a chance to be uh, deep when the, when the newcomers get here. I do think the newcomers are going to help Alabama. But speaking of defensively, we have to talk about it. It's very sad because uh, I think uh, he was at, at basically his dream job because he came back and he, I know he's told, uh, you know, a, 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 someone via a very good friend of mine that all he ever wanted to do was coach D-line at Alabama. But sad to see Bo Davis go and the circumstances with the impermissible contact. Uh, you know, he obviously didn't, uh, wasn't forthcoming when they approached him from the NCAA and the compliance perspective. He had to resign uh, from Alabama. was a great uh, coach. I thought he had improved upon his second go-round after going to Texas. He deepened his recruiting ties, was an even better fundamental coach, and he had built a brotherhood with the D-line and uh, really just was really shocked when it happened. And It's a big loss for Alabama. It's going to be interesting to see who replaces him. Coming out of the weekend, it looked like uh, it was going to be Carl Dunbar, who had worked for Saban at LSU and had spent five years in college and 11 in the NFL. He looked like a really good fit, but Saban interviewed him on Monday and nothing's been announced. So from what I understand, the, the search may still be ongoing. The, the more days it goes without an announcement, I think they may be focusing on uh, someone else. And the only other name to really come up is Tracy Rocker. And if I had to ga- gamble right now, I don't think he's going to leave UGA. So it's going to be interesting to see how Coach Saban fills this role. Because as he said today on the SEC teleconference that we carried live on Talking Ball, right now there's not a, it's, a, it's not the ideal time to be looking for, uh, for, uh, for coaches because they're not really looking for work. They've already taken their jobs, and they're already in jobs. So this, this whole process is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, over the next week, and it could have had some collateral damage, though. Something's telling me in my gut he was still going to go to Ole Miss, but Josiah Coatney chose Ole Miss over Alabama despite the fact that they're under massive NCAA investigation this afternoon. I don't think any Alabama fan that follows recruiting closely, now there's a lot of fringe people, but close following of recruiting thought that that was going to be any different than it was. I, I never thought he was coming to Alabama. Um, that that check cleared long before all that stuff went out on draft night with Tunstall and all. So I don't, I don't think there was ever any doubt what Cody was going to do, and he'll help Ole Miss. He would have helped Alabama. Alabama's got an issue with depth on the D line, uh, but that being said, he's he's made his choice. That's fine, good for him. And getting back to the D line position, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt wants Tracy Rocker. 
to fill that role. And uh, and Tracy Rocker, I don't think, is opposed to doing it. I think the situation is the mom and the son, who's a great baseball prospect, are not that thrilled about leaving Athens. And we all know that, you know, when mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. So he may or may not come, but I don't think we can close the door on either of those two candidates you mentioned yet, Drew. And then there's a third possibility. Uh, well, there's probably about ten possibilities, but there's a third scenario where Tosh Lupoy could move to the position he coached at Cal, which was D-line, and someone like a Freddie Roach could come from the off-the-field position to coach the outside backers. I, I would think that's probably being discussed as well. It's possible, but I, I think they're, they're wanting to go outside the organization. Roach could have happened, you know, right away, uh, and it did not. Um, and as you said, Carl Dunbar, he's still under consideration, but again, he interviewed Monday, and the more days that go by and nothing is announced, I think that's telling. Tracy Rocker, uh, you brought up the point that it has been rumored about his wife uh, not wanting to move because their son is an elite baseball prospect who some believe could be a first-round pick uh, in, in, the next day, in, the, in next year's draft. So he's got a, a year of high school left and is in a fertile area uh, for high school talent. Uh, no question about that. Uh, we'll see. And, and, of course, the rumor is that Rocker – would, would, you know, would uh, would not be opposed to coming and really would prefer to coach at Alabama, and I don't blame him in that regard. Uh, but the one good thing, whoever is hired, um, they should have, I, from, from very good sources, the coaches feel really good about six of their defensive linemen. Uh, I think Bo Davis felt good about six after the spring. They had eight last year. They were hoping to find a couple or more, and the good part uh, about it is they've got several coming in. They've got four that have got a chance to, or really five, if Terrell Hall, depending on what he weighs and, and where, they, where they start him out at, they, unless they start him out at Jack. But they've got four true D linemen coming in, uh, Quinnen Williams, uh, who they are really high on, Jamar King, and then, of course, the two freshman inside guys. And if Joshua Frazier doesn't get his tail in gear, I, but I do think he's one of the six. I think they, they're confident that he is going to uh, be able to help them in the fall. But it's going to be Raekwon Davis, who looks like he's going to be academically eligible. He's worked really hard and got the 19 on the ACT uh, to be uh, look to look like he's going to be good to go through the clearinghouse. And then, of course, Hulk Jones, who's also had to drop weight and get some academics in order, but it looks like that will happen as well. So, but it's just going to be really interesting. So they shouldn't have any. Uh, if there are some uh, coaches that aren't happy with their situations, I'm sure Coach Saban is getting. Uh, is uh, through back channels is being uh, with it, with agents calling is having a lot of interest because Alabama right now is uh, got a lot of talent on the defensive side and it's just going to be a matter of sifting through who they like and I still think they're going to get a quality replacement but Bo Davis is a great fit and but you just wish him a lot of luck I think he'll resurface on the pro level it's just sad that he made that mistake but I don't think it's going to be a portent of bad things to come for Alabama it's much like the Joker Phillips situation at UF under uh, Will Muschamp two years ago, and he much the same thing happened to him. He was dismissed, and Florida faced no sanctions. This was just Alabama, as usual, getting out in front of something before it turned into something bigger. Oh, it could have been a lot worse. And, you know, if Bo had just been truthful uh, to the compliance department and to Coach Saban, he'd still have a job. He'd just be missing a game or so, like like what happened with Cristobal last year when he had to sit a game out. He would have just missed probably a game or maybe two, but he'd still be employed making that 450 whatever it was a year. Now, you know, because he chose to not be truthful, he's out of work. Now, he probably won't be out of work very long. Somebody else snap him up, uh, maybe an NFL team, but somebody. 
But guys, you know, girls, if you're listening and you do, you screw up at work and they got the goods on you, don't try to lie about it. I don't think he had the, I don't think he had the knowledge that they had the goods on him already from the high school coach and whoever else they talked to. But it's an unfortunate situation, but it's uh, it's over now. It's uh, water under the bridge, and uh, you know, talking about the coaches, uh, the defensive coaches being comfortable with six guys. I'm wondering who number six is. Coach Saban said during uh, the 8A press conference after 8A that had he been healthy, uh, that uh, Dakota Ball Dakota Ball would have run with the twos on the D-line. Yep. I, I sure they don't think that's one of the six. I, I, I've got to think they've got high hopes for 27-year-old Juco Jamar King. Quickly no, I, 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 I can tell you, Kerry, uh, uh, he, from someone that's spoken to Dakota Ball, he, Nick Saban asked him to move back. And he's got him in the two deep. They feel good about his, his work and what he'd done before he got the concussion, and uh, and missed uh, and uh, and got a little dinged up near the end of the spring. But they they like him. I think uh, it, it was a little bit surprising to me too. But I have a strong suspicion because of Coach Saban. When Coach Saban specifically says uh, that that we had two guys missing from the two deep, John Allen, and we all know John Allen is a future first rounder if he stays healthy, and Dakota Ball, that tells me. Right now, Dakota Ball is solidly in the rotation. I know he didn't spend the last two years at D-line, but before he moved to tight end, I thought he flashed a little bit at D-tackle, but he was just buried on the depth chart, and they moved him to try to get him on the field. He's had trouble, and he also had to have back surgery. And I mean, he had a, he had a back issue last year, was never completely healthy, and uh, I, he's never going to start, but I think they feel confident that they can get 15 or 20 snaps a game, which is what they would have been looking for from Josiah Coatney as well. But he grew up wanting to be a rebel, and so uh, he goes to Ole Miss uh, and to, to be in, uh, to uh, to join that party over there with uh, the Reverend Freeze. Well, I, I understand all that, and that all makes good sense. I just think Jamar King is going to be a factor sooner than later in that two deep. Oh, I think two. I think two or three of the newcomers will be. I just think I'm just saying basically, the, don't discount Ball. He could still end up in the two deep, and that just means they're deeper. So. I do think before it's all said and done, they're going to have eight or nine again. They might not be as talented as last year, but they're going to be close. And it's going to be a really good group. And uh, whoever, you know, takes the range from Bo Davis, is he's going to have a, uh, a, 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 a full arsenal at his disposal and should, uh, it should be a, 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 a fun transition. You're definitely not going to be lacking for players. Yeah, I don't know if they'll have the quality depth that they had last year. Last year's Alabama team was just, Freakishly deep. I mean, it was unbelievable how deep they were on the front seven, and, and that includes, of course, the D line. But yeah, uh, maybe not without, quite. Without, deep, still really good. Yeah, they'll they'll have guys they can throw out there for sure. But we do have our first caller of the evening on the Asian Rim Hotline, brought to you by our good friends at the Asian Rim in the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama, off of Highway 280. Check out the website at AsianRim.com. There you will find a phone number where you can give them a call and get reservations for Mother's Day uh, and check out the specials they have for mom. We'll have more on that later in the show. But for now, let's go on to the Asian Rim Hotline and bring on our good pal from Greenville, Alabama, Colin Big C. McGuire. What's going on, big man? All right, Kerry and Drew. How y'all boys tonight? Good. Doing all right? Good. Well, okay, How you doing, brother? Doing good. Yes, sir. We got you. I- how do y'all pronounce that guy from Hawaii's name? Oh wow! Uh, I, I'm gonna give it my best shot. 
It is Tua, and it's Tago Vailoa, I think. But that's about as about as good as I can do. I'm I'm still working on it. Vern Lundquist's uh, head just exploded. Yeah, there you go, Thomas. There you go. But uh, well, Brad, yeah, Brad Nestor will be calling games by the time Tua starts playing for Alabama. Yes. <laughs> well, that's pretty wild. Um, I saw some highlights on him. He really—he looks like a really good football player. He's a big old guy. Last thing I like about him, he's left-handed, so it'd be pretty cool if he could be like Snake. I don't know if he is or not. Oh, if he could be half as good as Snake was, I'd be happy with that. Well, I tell—I can tell you this, Big C. He's a solidly built kid. He's measured right at about six-one recently, and. He's weighing about 215 pounds. He's rock solid. Uh, he's a tough kid. He's a really good runner. He rushed for 400 last year, threw for 3,000. But I really like his mechanics. I was even told by a great friend of the show, and we'll hear it later tonight. We've got a recorded interview with John Garcia. But he is thought to have one of the top two or three strongest arms in the country. And, wow. Uh, and, he's, and, he, and if you watch his film, Big C, and I don't know if you've been able to watch much of it yet, but he has, uh, he's really got, got a nice, he has, does a really good deep ball. He comes from the same high school as Marcus Mariota. He comes out higher rated than Marcus, but we will see, you know, if that, if that uh, comes to fruition. But I think he's got a lot of leadership skills. He's a charismatic kid. He and his parents, you know, they approach the recruiting process, you know, very meticulously. He, you know, he, he went on a visit. He, USC was the longtime favorite. He came to, on a southeast swing to come to Alabama and Ole Miss and Auburn. He'd never been to the south, and he uh, liked Alabama a lot. Then he uh, tripped to Ole Miss, and, and then he, uh, and he, went, and he went to Auburn as well. And he liked Alabama so much he came back. And all told, I think he stayed close to a week in Tuscaloosa. It kind of reminded me of the Blake Barnett situation, except Blake canceled all his other visits. And uh, Oregon had been thought to be the favorite for Blake, and he returned home to Corona and, and committed to Alabama shortly thereafter, and that's basically what, you know, Tua did. They had to, he had to go home and discuss it with his family and his parents. His dad was continued to bring up Ole Miss, continued to bring up Auburn, and especially USC and UCLA because his he's related to Tui Asasopo, Marcus Tui Asasopo, who's the offensive coordinator now at UCLA. Uh, but you know, he's he, you know a lot of people thought he would end up at, uh, U, at USC or there. But Alabama made such a strong impression. They've got a, a strong bond with Lane Kiffin. Now, if Lane left, you know, it might open up some questions. But I do think he has a strong connection with Nick Saban. And he kept talking about Nick Saban and his faith. And I think uh, Coach Saban, what you're going to see, Big C, he's decided he's had so much trouble defending at times mobile quarterbacks that, he, you know, he's going to fight fire with fire. And he's going to start – he's going to continue to run, you know, uh, uh, pro-style offenses. But – he has decided he is going to recruit better athletes at the QB position that can make plays with their feet, no question. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, is there anybody else? Uh, like, who was the guy that I think decided to go to Ole Miss? Who was that? But it's somebody uh, uh, Josiah Coatney. Yeah, Josiah Coatney, uh, Holmes Community College defensive tackle. Uh, he, he, you know, he – he was a kid that uh, he 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 went. Th- he he's got three years to play three. He got qualified or is going to once he graduates in, in this May a little sooner than people expected. So he's able to get out of JUCO and Alabama. 
had evaluated him and liked him as a rotation guy. They thought he could come in and and, uh, and then have a good shot at the two deep. Ole Miss is needing D-line as well because you know they lost a lot of guys. And basically he visited uh, Georgia and South Carolina. He had some other schools under consideration, but it was basically a two-man race between Alabama and Ole Miss. Alabama lost Bo Davis unexpectedly. Uh, but, you know, there was a little bit of buzz coming out uh, a few days, about a week ago. But some thought Coatney uh, was leaning to Alabama. But he visited Ole Miss last regardless with his girlfriend. And so Ole Miss was always confident that, he, that uh, they were going to sign him. And so I, even if Bo hadn't left, I have a funny feeling that Josiah was going to go to Ole Miss. Uh, but, uh, again, Alabama – They've got a good D-line class coming in. They've got four or five guys that will report in May that can impact the depth chart. It hurts a little bit, Stings, because he goes to a rival in the division. But I still don't think – the main thing Alabama's got to do is get the right fit at defensive line coach. Yeah. Uh, How soon do you think that will be? Um, I'll let Kerry give his thoughts after after I I speak on it. I, I think it'll still be a few days. I've been told they're not in a, in a super hurry right now. I think I don't know if you heard it today, Big C, but the SEC Western Division uh, coaches' tele, spring teleconference was today, and Coach Saban spoke at 10 o'clock this morning for 10 minutes and was asked about it by a good friend of this show, uh, Mark Burnett, now with the AJC and SEC country, and he just you know he went on to say that right now it's not the you know the greatest time to hire coaches. A lot of them are already in jobs and not looking for work, and so. They're, uh, they're, 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 they're talking to some. Uh, the Carl Dunbar report from Matt Zenith, who will be on my show tomorrow morning, He uh, th- that was this Monday. A lot of people thought he was going to be uh, named the coach. He came in and interviewed, uh, and it's been a few days. It could still happen, but the more days that pass that he's not announced, I think that's telling. And Tracy Rocker, I still think, from Georgia could be in the mix, though I'm not so sure with his family situation that's going to happen. I think Coach Saban is just going to continue to evaluate, and we'll see. Uh, what he, who he comes up with, but they, they're going to have a, a lot of talent at their, at their disposal, whoever it may be. Hey, uh, what's that? Uh, Big C. Uh, yeah, I'm go ahead, Kerry. Go you, ahead. Uh, you want to? You know, you mentioned Big C earlier that you were kind of intrigued by the fact that uh, Tua is the lefty, and you're uh, you're probably one of the best or top ten best anyway. Alabama trivia. Who's the last lefty to start a game for Alabama quarterback? David Smith in '88. Got it. Good job. Now an yeah. SEC White Hat official. And I know Big C, you'll get this right, but as I tweeted it out right as he committed, uh, you know he's the only the second Hawaiian at Alabama that I can ever remember. You know the yeah, first. Peter, Peter Kim. <laughs> yeah. Tua is the first real Hawaiian we've had. Uh, Peter grew up in Korea, and uh, his family moved to Hawaii when he was in high school. Uh, and he did graduate high school over there and play one year at the University of Hawaii. But uh, Tua is the first homegrown Hawaiian we've ever had. And, you know, in the first high school Hawaiian we've ever signed, Peter was, a, like I said, transferred after a year at the University of Hawaii. Big C, I'm sure you remember Peter from your time down there. Oh, yeah, I certainly do. He's got them, you know, some restaurants out in Hawaii, pork, uh, pork barbecue restaurants, you know, like those. It's a certain type of pork barbecue they cook out there in Hawaii. He's got several of those, from what I understand. Yeah, he's, he's done, done really real well. well. Yeah, he's done real well for himself. Yeah, 
But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember when he came. I remember when he came to Alabama. He watched and saw us on television. We played uh, Penn State and tried to come this way. And I remember in the spring of '79, I think Alan McElroy said, "I'm glad he's got to sit out a year." <laughs> he would have been out. Yeah, he would have been out. He was a good one though. He's three years old. He was the first. Huh? Right now. Three years started, old man. Yeah, and he was the first soccer-style kicker, too. Yep, he was. McElroy kicked it straight ahead. uh, But, uh, yes, a lot of things have changed over the years, the late 80s, the 70s. uh, Yeah, because I think every kicker since then has kicked soccer-style. Even my buddy Paul Trod, if you remember him from Kipala, Played up there, yeah. when you were there, and uh, trying to think, but basically every kicker since it was kick soccer style, and uh, and, uh that Terry Sanders, but, yeah, he did not. You're right, he was straight ahead kicker, good boy, too. But uh, what else is going on from a right. standpoint right now? Hello. Y'all still there? Yes, sir. What was your question? What is going on recruiting-wise now, right now? Well, you know, the next the next prospect that may go public to Alabama is T.D. Moultrie, uh, the linebacker from Jack and Olin. Rumor seems to be that he'll go public sometime very soon. Uh, he told a great good friend of the show, Rodney Orr, that just uh, yesterday. And uh, I've been told by John Garcia and other sources that they feel like he'll do it um, in, uh, in in you know sometime in May. I think he could be the next one to go public. There's been a lot of rumors about Austin Troxel. I think Trox is gonna. He he just was recently quoted by Daniel Boyette here in in, in Huntsville, who went to see him at uh, spring practice. That he would likely commit uh, probably uh, in the in the summer. So we'll see with, uh, Austin Troxel. He's another one to watch. And so I think uh, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, who, uh, you know, where all the pieces and when they start coming together. Because I do think Tua is going to be the impetus to have an excellent uh, offensive signing class. I think the wide receiver group, whether they sign three to five, and you'll hear that from John Garcia later in the show, could be uh, the, one of the best uh, ever signed by Alabama. I do think, and I think Tua, and I and may also play a big role in keeping Najee Harris. Uh, committed from California because he's extremely highly rated, uh, number one player overall in the country by Scout.com, and he's uh, a lot of got a lot of schools coming after him. But uh, from what we understand, he and two are really close and have really kind of uh, become fast friends on the combine circuit and the camp circuit. And I think uh, Tua could help keep him committed, no question about it. Well, let me ask y'all this: since you brought up the combine and all that, what do you think about the satellite camp thing being overturned? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. It's the most overblown. I just, I, it's so over. You know, they, it's become a, a, a national story. It really shouldn't be. It's only because of uh, the uh, Harbaugh raising Kane. But really, the players are still the, the great players are still going to go where they want to go. Uh, it'll help the kids in the smaller schools at the Sanfords and the Murray States and the Jacksonville States and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, they, overall, like Nick Saban said today, they're going to do some of that stuff, but they still want the players to come visit the University of Alabama and see the campus and the environment there. And 
I just think the whole thing's overplayed. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, one on the 11th of June, and Alabama's going to have some people there, but it won't be saving. I think it'll be like one or two assistants and one or two quality control of GAs, but there'll be somebody down there with an Alabama polo on anyway on June 11th at Sanford University. They didn't waste any time putting the Alabama logo on the ass of that camp. Yes. Well, I don't know what else to ask you. What time to call you tomorrow, Big Bands? I'll tell you later. Okay. All right. That'll work. Well, thank y'all for your time. All right, Big C. We appreciate it, my man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you later, man. Have a good night. That's Colin Big C. McGuire, the first caller on the BAMS Radio Asian Rim Hotline. I want to thank him uh, for joining us as always. And then I know we've got some audio we're going to play for you uh, this evening. Uh, and I, what, I kind of figured we, we're going to talk a lot of basketball the next hour, and we'll hear. Uh, I had a chance today to sit down with Corbin Collins, uh, the newest addition to the Crimson Tide basketball team. And he uh, he brought up a he he was a very well spoken young guy. Got to give a big shout out again to Arnold Sedham, who's been a guest on this show, who helped me uh, coordinate that and hook up with Corbin. And uh, he really uh, had some good things to say about his recruiting process and Avery Johnson. And he's uh, I think everyone's very excited to see what he can do in a tied uniform and to see maybe the other piece, very likely a post player uh, that uh, Avery Johnson may add. Uh, in the uh, late signing period. And, of course, Daniel Giddens being among those who's recently visited, who's the transfer from Ohio State. But the, what, the first segment I thought we would play for y'all, we'd kind of play off what we Carrie and I were just talking about with Big C, is the uh, conversation I had this week with John Garcia, uh, which was, of course, the morning of uh, the uh, commitment of Tua Tagovailoa, who did commit uh, to the Crimson Tide later that night. John Garcia of BamaMag and Scout.com. John, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good, Drew. You know, last night, or I guess this morning to some degree, probably the latest <laughs> commitment to cover, but obviously, you know, uh, it was expected, so it took some of that work out for us. Uh, Bo Scarborough's was really late, I remember. It was overnight. He just sort of said, hey, I'm going to commit to Alabama, but this one was a bit different, obviously uh, no less important for Alabama. Yeah, and talk about it. Uh, we we know uh, we've talked about it, and we've uh, discussed it earlier in the show about the impact a quarterback can have on a class. And uh, with Jake Fromm decommitting and going to Georgia, Alabama had been uh, you know methodical in their approach uh, to uh, talking and uh, and offering some quarterbacks. But this this uh, development, I don't, I'm not sure anyone saw it coming two months ago. It's really the speed of it, like you said. Two months ago today, actually, Jake Fromm flips from Bama to Georgia. Five days later, Tagovailoa picks up the scholarship offer. It was the first offer Bama sent out. Later that day, they did offer Jake Bentley, but first it was Tagovailoa, and it was Lane Kiffin distributing that offer. So in less than two months, you go from barely talking to a kid to getting him on the commitment list and pulling him away, most impressively, from a team that, Literally everybody for two and three years thought he was destined to be at in Southern Cal. Um, there was a little bit of negative trend their way, you know, around signing day. They lost their quarterback coach, Marcus Tuiasosopo, to UCLA. So people thought, okay, if it's not USC, it will be UCLA. He'll stay on the West Coast. They'll play in the Pac-12 like everybody thought, like Marcus Mariota did. But nonetheless, here comes Bama, you know, seven and a half weeks of recruiting, they get the offer out. They get him and his family to visit. 
and they get him committed. Uh, it was just we've never seen speed like that, and I think maybe this is the ultimate example of of the power of that Bama offer. You know, why was he not committed to USC throughout that entire time? Why did he wait? Something told him to wait, and then once Lane Kiffin offered, everything changed, and then the visit sealed the deal. I mean, it's just. I don't think I've seen anything like that with a high-profile kid, especially at a priority position like quarterback. So the speed of it is, is really mind-boggling, and uh, it's a story that will be told, uh, I would imagine, for years to come. Well, and I thought it was interesting, some of the comments. And and he, I, he it seems as though he and his family covered all the bases because you would think the first thing would have, was going to be that uh, Tua would, would uh, want to play in a spread system, but – he really bought into Nick Saban and, the, and Lane Kiffin's uh, pitch to him to play under the center and already start the transition uh, from, uh, from from in college to the professional level because we just we've seen that uh, the spread offense you can use parts of it in the NFL but it's not going to be your base offense you need to learn how to operate under center and I think to a uh, believes he can play on the NFL level. I've heard him uh, compared to Russell Wilson, John. And the best way to do that is to play in a pro-style offense, and I think that played a huge factor in his decision, it sounded like, to choose Alabama. It did. You know, I think there's sort of a lazy notion around him. I mean, on, on the face level, you see a kid, you know, from the same high school as Mariota, as we mentioned, ethnic kid, Hawaiian kid. He can run. So there's this notion that, okay, He's going to be in a spread offense. He wants to play at one of those up-tempo styles like an Oregon, like maybe an Ole Miss down in the SEC, which which came on strong like Alabama did. But as you said, he really wanted to play in the pro-style offense. And, again, despite his ability to run, he's a pass-first guy. You know, I think um, Blake Barnett was probably more of that than he is, if that is, is a fair comparison. Barnett probably, at that point coming out of high school, a little more suited for a spread up tempo offense, he was a run first guy more so than Jalen Hurts and now to attack Vailoa. So I think that's a, a sort of a lazy notion surrounding him. So if you eliminate that, it was all about playing in a pro style offense. That's why it was Bama and USC all the way through there at the end. And that's one of the biggest reasons he did choose Alabama. And he, he told Scout that. He said, you know, the ability to play in the NFL is something that I want to do one day. So his exact words, you know, were, were, why not start early? Why not get going in a pro-style offense now as opposed to playing in a spread for four years and then trying to adjust, something that we're going to see Jared Goff try to do now with the L.A. Rams. He's, you know, never really been under center. So that's something Tua wanted to avoid, and obviously he'll be able to do that in Tuscaloosa. Well, and I've been watching film, and I know you've probably watched a ton of it, John, uh, I really like the way he throws the football. I love the uh, the way his deep ball looks on tape. And I know uh, in Hawaii it's not the, the competition, that even uh, not nearly even of, say, of course, a Jalen Hurts uh, faced at Channel View, Texas. But both of those guys, because they're, they're coming in back-to-back classes, are going to be uh, you know, compared to each other quite a bit. For our listeners, and I, really, I truly respect your, your, your uh, football IQ and your study of film, I know you've watched film of both young men. Kind of compare and contrast the two. Yeah, very interesting, as you said. And and I think the biggest similarity here, these guys are groomed quarterbacks from day one. It's not, you know, you played this in Pop Warner and then you moved here. And, again, we go back to Barnett. 
he was a wide receiver until about two and a half, three years ago. So these guys are not like that. These guys are quarterbacks from day one. Hurts because he's the son of a coach, and Tua because he's just been around that quarterback culture. And I'm sure Mariota maybe has something to do with it, but he was a quarterback all the way through the process. So because of it, much more polished at this point. He and Hurts both with a fairly strong arm. Tua is probably stronger. I think Greg Biggins of Scout said it's the strongest arm in the country this year. But the most wow. impressive thing to me is, is his release. His release is very fast. That was one of the biggest knocks on Barnett coming out. Uh, the, the, the release was almost Tebow-like. It was slow. There was a hitch in between. Mm-hmm. Tua's is quick. It's a lefty, so it might not look as quick as an Aaron Rodgers or a Tony Romo or something, but it's a lefty. It's very, very quick, and he's got a rocket arm behind it. So, as you mentioned, he does have good touch on the deep balls, but I think the intermediate to the deep balls probably where he has to work on the most in terms of his polish because anything short underneath that you have to fire the ball out there, he is money with because of the quick release and because of the strength of his arm. So I think that's where he defers from Jalen Hurts a little bit. Hurts probably a little more polished on those uh, intermediate-type throws. Um, but, again, both guys can run. Hurts probably a little faster, but Tua – Six one two fifteen. You know he's a big kid, thick kid, which is another reason why there's a notion that he's a run first guy, but he's not. When he does take off, though, he's got some some power behind his body. So I think they're very similar. They're both groomed quarterbacks. They've been doing it for such a long time, so that's going to help them sooner rather than later in college. So as you mentioned, you know this Tua versus Jalen thing, it's going to continue for years to come until exclusive because they're so similar, they're so polished, and and just like Jalen. Tua's going to graduate in December and enroll in January, so we're only a few months away from Tua's debut in Tuscaloosa, so those comparisons will only continue at that point. And I wanted to ask you about that, John. You brought up an excellent segue there about the early enrollment. Uh, I just talked to Chris Kirchner of the AJC. He has been told by the family that as of right now, he, he he wouldn't enroll early because, but he still has to get some uh, summer classes done in order for that to happen. But you at, at scout.com, I had read y'all's story last night. There is a strong belief that he is going to enroll early. Yeah, you know these things have a way of sort of working themselves out, uh, really on both sides. You know, and it's something that can be accelerated. I know we've seen it. You know, here in Alabama, Jake Bentley. You know, when he committed to South Carolina, very true. It was it was you know to enroll in January and then a couple of weeks later it was like uh, no I'm gonna skip senior year and now I'm gonna <laughs> just enroll here in May so it's not gonna be that much of an acceleration but it will be accelerated. You mentioned the summer it's really sort of the the open ground to make up some room academically and it's not a, a bad situation for two. It's just gonna be a little bit more of a workload. Blake Barnett did it. We've seen other quarterbacks do it and it's really become the norm. You know those quarterbacks who don't enroll early are often a little more behind the eight ball. So with the aspirations Tua has, you would expect them to move closer towards that. Yeah, like you said, maybe not a done deal at this point, but the expectation, you know, eight months from now is that he will be, you know, ready to graduate and ready to get to Tuscaloosa. So we'll probably track that a little bit more into the summer, certainly depending on his camp schedule, things like that. Um, but I would be somewhat surprised if when all is said and done, he is not enrolled in January. Yeah, and I think that would be big for the University of Alabama. And, John, what kind of domino effect do you, do you anticipate could happen with this commitment? Well, this is interesting. You know, um, the Mariota comparisons are out there, and you're, I'm not the first one who's going to bring it up. Uh, I was talking to Greg Biggins <laughs> about it, of course, who's covered. He's a Hawaiian who's covered to his whole career. 
he says they're really complete opposites personality-wise. So that's maybe where it's really important here when you're talking about a domino effect and leading a class like Tua will be expected to do. Mariota, what you see on camera, sort of what you get with him, quiet, reserved, sort of to himself to some degree, a quiet leader, lead-by-example type. Well, Tua is the opposite, very outgoing, very outspoken. He's a rah-rah guy. So while a lot of recruits maybe only know his name, going forward as he starts visiting Tuscaloosa more and he starts reaching out to these guys more, both committed and uncommitted targets, now they're going to see that personality in motion a little more. So this domino effect could be something similar to what we saw with Blake Barnett. He commits in June, and all of a sudden there's this massive rallying cry to get Bama towards the top of the recruiting rankings. And we saw it with Jalen Hurts as well, but Jalen Hurts probably closer to the Mariota style as to where Tua probably closer to the Barnett style, outgoing, outspoken, public about his want to get Alabama to the top. So now you have another credible source on the West Coast. You had Lane Kiffin. You had Tosh Lupoi. You had Blake Barnett. You have Najee Harris. Now you have Tua Tagovailoa as well, the quarterback. So that will certainly help with wide receivers, a group that Bama currently has zero commitments from. It will certainly help with offensive linemen as to where now you need a right tackle to protect the blind side. So a little bit of a curveball in that respect. Uh, So that will help with those guys tangibly on the field, and again, it's another source of credibility on the West Coast, something Bama has really tried to hammer, whether it be high school prospects, junior college prospects. It's, it's been an, issue, an initiative that has seen a lot of success, but obviously the, the more the merrier in that regard because there will always be elite prospects on both sides of the ball out on the West Coast, and as you know, Bama has a national footprint, so this only helps that notion. Well, and as we saw with Blake Barnett, he did a great job with Damian Harris, and they kind of uh, uh, they, they formed a bond, and he helped recruit Damian to Alabama. We know Najee Harris from Antioch, California, is already committed to the Tide and has been for over a year, but there's been a lot of consternation because he's continued to take visits, a lot of rumors uh, about the strength of his commitment. I would think uh, with the, uh, uh, with the uh, commitment of Tua that this could only help that situation. At least that's what I've been told, and uh, is that what you're hearing? Yeah, it's not going to hurt. You know, they have been at events together. Obviously, you know, uh, Najee, a Northern California guy, and, and to a Hawaii guy, similar events, similar passing events. They're both actually sort of West Coast legends already on the seven-on-seven circuit, which is basically the AAU of football. So that really kicks off now. So those events are going to pick up more and more uh, all summer long individually. And then there's there's other events where they'll be invited to to participate as well. So, you know, events like the opening out in Oregon, things like that, you could expect uh, plenty of time where they could cross paths in addition to probably getting to Tuscaloosa um, on similar times going forward. Each of them, I'm told, will try to return at some point this summer. So maybe Bama sort of makes it to where they, they get on that same visit weekend, or et cetera. So I think it certainly won't hurt, and they know each other, and they know of each other, but now obviously they have a common – uh, ground here being Alabama commitments at this point. And, and if you talk about mixing it up and, and opening up to a read option or something like that, how about Tagovailoa and Harris in the backfield together, you know, with the run threat that he possesses? It's just crazy to think about that Alabama has that at its disposal potentially going forward. It's, it's Again, this is another scenario where you have to give credit to Lane Kiffin. Call him what you want, but when it comes to recruiting, targeting, identifying, and acquiring talent, a uh, few better on the West Coast than Lane. Yeah, uh, I completely agree, John. And 
and kind of uh, switching gears a little bit. As you, as you brought it up, uh, the wide receiver core, Alabama doesn't have any commitments, uh, but they did get Nico Collins on campus this past weekend, and Georgia's made a big uh, push there. And he, along with Jerry Judy, uh, and uh, we know uh, Devontae Smith, that they're, they're all going to kind of be on the short list. It's going to be interesting to watch this unfold. Yeah, I think the number will be interesting. You know, how many does Bama take? I've heard anywhere from three to five wide receivers. I think the interesting angle that Bama is using this year is they're they're separating receivers based on their skill set. So you, some of the guys you mentioned, Nico, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, they're all sort of in that, that X discussion, big traditional wide receivers who can play on the outside. And then you've got your slot types, your, your Calvin Ridley types who are on campus, your H types. In-state guy like Henry Ruggs leads that list. There's some guys on the West Coast to John Lindsay who could be on that list. So they're really recruiting two different types of wide receiver, which helps, you know, in, in sort of the perception that, hey, I'm, I'm a top target at this position, even though I may not be the top overall wide receiver target. So that's going to be interesting to see those dominoes fall as well. And I think the guy who could be closest to committing Probably Henry Ruggs. He visited Alabama again this weekend with Nico Collins, the top two receivers in the state of Alabama. He told us, hey, I'm committing this summer. He doesn't have any leaders publicly, has not put that out there yet, but there's no school who has hosted him on campus more as a prospect than Alabama. So the Tides' chances certainly aren't hurt by that fact. So I think he could be the first domino on the wide receiver board, but that's going to be an interesting position because a lot of those other guys – going to wait it out. Judy, you know, who you mentioned, he was on campus for A-Day. He's going to wait it out even though he's very close to Calvin Ridley. Devontae Smith, close to Shaheen Carter, a 2016 signee, and many coaches on staff, he's probably going to wait it out to some degree. And Nico Collins, the consensus top receiver in the state, he's definitely going to wait it out. As you mentioned, Georgia making a very big push. Alabama's always been in there. Michigan is pushing for him. He has some ties to that program as well. He's a national guy. He's going to be a guy you have to fight off everybody for. So getting him back on campus certainly helps, but certainly uh, plenty more battles to be won with Nico Collins. And I know you've been on the road with Jason Caldwell, another good friend of the show, uh, evaluating prospects. And I noticed he got he got offered by Southern Cal this week. Alec Jackson seems to be exploding a little bit. You know, he's one of these guys, Drew, that you see him on tape, and he looks great on tape. You know, he's he's a big guy, strong side defensive end, shows good explosion, can get after the quarterback, can play the run as well. But he's one of these guys that you, you couple that with seeing him in person. And when you talk about 6'5", 275, it's a legit 6'5", 275. There is no question marks when you see the kid. So I think that's the biggest reason he's exploding this spring. I think everybody liked the tape, but when you saw him, you were like, whoa. He is that big. You know, sometimes these Cody's high school coaches get a little uh, a little funny when it comes to the height and weight there. So once that is confirmed, yeah. he's basically picked up a scholarship offer every single place he's been or with every coach who has seen him since the, the 2015 season ended. So when he visited Bama, scholarship offer. The next day he was down at Auburn, scholarship offer. USC came by this week, scholarship offer. I mean, that's the theme with him because it matches the tape that you saw, and when you put it all together, he's one of the top prospects and maybe the biggest spring riser in the entire state of Alabama, and it's, again, another strong position here in the state, defensive line. We've talked about linebacker. We've talked about wide receiver, some of these other positions. But now if you look at defensive line, LeBron Ray up there in North Alabama, Ryan Johnson down in South Alabama, Alec Jackson in the mid-state, these big, strong side, versatile defensive end prospects are, are the talk of college football right now, these hybrids 
are what people want. Guy who can play inside on certain downs, outside on other downs. Alec Jackson, the newest name in the state, and he's another one who he's going to have to take his time because he's getting so many offers, so much attention in such a short time. So he's certainly a, a name to know, uh, no matter who you're a fan of, really, in the entire country. And I wanted to ask you about these D-linemen. We, we just got through uh, talking uh, with Chris Kirchner of the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution's SEC country, and uh, we asked him about the departure of Bo Davis and, and what he thought how it might affect Alabama. There's a lot of good – one of the uh, defensive line in this class, John, we talked about wide receiver taking three to five. D-line is a very crucial position in this class. Alabama is in on Josiah Coatney. He will make a decision this week, supposedly, down to Alabama and Ole Miss. How has the departure of Bo Davis affected him? I, I, from what I understand, he, was, he and his girlfriend were uh, in Oxford this past weekend. And then how do you think it could affect the, the 2017 class going forward? You know, Josiah's got questions. We'll start there. You know, he, his top two schools you mentioned, Bama and Ole Miss, pretty negative couple of weeks or a week or so for both <laughs> programs at his position. You know, he's a D lineman, so losing Bo Davis hurts, especially under uh, alleged recruiting violations, which we have confirmed. It was a, a signing day decision that hit, that was a little mistreated by Davis. There was some uh, some truth that was withheld when it came to Nick Saban, so you, you understand how that played out. So there's certainly questions he had to ask there. Now you go to Ole Miss, obviously draft day, that whole scenario with Laramie Tunsil brings up a ton of questions as well. So we did confirm that he's still deciding this week, which I thought was somewhat surprising because his top two teams were sort of in flux. You know, Bama hasn't officially announced its new defensive line coach, though we do think um, that situation has been solved. However, those guys hadn't communicated just yet. And Ole Miss, obviously, tons of questions around the entire program, so you don't want to necessarily walk into a potential hornet's nest, although nothing is official from the NCAA at that side either. So, uh, as you said, if he was in Oxford, certainly he got those questions answered. You wonder how soon the situation with Bama's new D-line coach is resolved so that he can maybe get those questions answered. But we do track the visits, so you think if he did go to Oxford, that certainly helps Ole Miss. And, again, the fact that Bama lost Bo Davis, which was such a key part in recruiting him and really all the junior college guys, cannot help the Crimson Tide at this time. But – other than confirming that he wants to decide this week, he's really been quiet with us as to what he's thinking at this time. And, and it makes sense. It's understandable. The guy has had a lot of fluctuation on his list because of what's happened in the last week, week and a half. So you understand, I guess, sort of the, the slow period with him, at least with us and the public. So he's still seemingly gathering the facts. So I wouldn't be surprised if he actually pushed back the decision when all is said and done. But, but as of now, he's still expecting to commit Thursday or Friday. Uh, and then, again, that, that's sort of the, the thought right now with Bo Davis and how it hurts the defensive line. I think it hurts more now with a guy like Coatney than it will later come signing day. I mean, these guys, we mentioned it with the receivers, really taking their time, even in-state, Jackson, uh, LeBron Ray, Ryan Johnson, none of those guys anywhere close to making a decision. Jackson said he's overwhelmed. Johnson has been pushed to make commitments, but he wants to check out Notre Dame and LSU and some of these other schools he's never been to, so he's going to wait it out at least until the fall. And then LeBron Ray just released the top 12, what, yesterday, so he's nowhere mm -hmm. near making a decision as well. So that actually helps Alabama. You know, By the time those guys are really closing, closing in on, on narrowing that list and making a decision, everything will be in place with the new defensive line coach. Everything will be closer to normal than it is right now. And But, again, 
Uh, time certainly helps Bama, but right now it seems a little crazy, uh, but, but that should be resolved here soon. I think uh, nationally it's the same narrative. You know, Marvin Wilson, the number one defensive tackle, he tweeted, well, Bo Davis is gone. There goes my Bama recruitment. Again, that's, that's a tweet from a 17-year-old. We'll see if that maintains to be his position with Alabama once everything is resolved going forward with the defensive line group. But certainly Bo leaving hurts right now, but I think eventually it'll sort of work itself out and, and that defensive line hall will be as good as any. And then, of course, you've read the reports. Uh, Carl Dunbar, 11 years in the NFL. Your thoughts on uh, – and he has also coached five years in college football, including at LSU. Uh, but your thoughts on, on uh, his addition, should it be announced officially soon? Yeah, I mean, we're all just sort of waiting on that. Everybody's independently confirmed that he will be the next guy. You know, it, it makes sense. He's a Louisiana guy, which is an area Bama always wants to attack. And certainly you think of Tyler Shelvin, and the LSU defensive line commitment. Uh, so he has ties there. He coached with, with Saban in the past, so that certainly helps. He understands what Nick wants to do. He, he coaches an attacking style of defensive lineman like, like Nick likes. So all of that sort of lines up and makes sense. But I think the continuity in the NFL will only help. We saw it with Mel Tucker. Once he was hired a season ago, there was a little bit of an adjustment period. But after that, kids were like, whoa, this, this guy's been in the NFL. He knows what it takes to get there. And you couple that with all the other elements that Alabama brings, and, and it sort of recruits itself almost almost. Uh, to that degree. So I think once, once Dunbar is on board and it's official, and again, I don't understand what's keeping Alabama from announcing it at this point, and maybe we get that today, you know, it'll really smooth itself out with those defensive linemen. And you wonder if his first order of business, provided it happens in the next 24 hours, is to reach out to a Josiah Coatney and sort of try right. to tie out that loose end uh, before moving forward to these 2017 guys. But the timing is good here. You know, the summer is coming up. Camps are, are beginning about a month from now, so kids will be flocking to Tuscaloosa. They'll get to meet him in person, perform for him to some degree. So all, all that will work itself out with the timing, but the hire makes a lot of sense. NFL guy, ties to Nick Saban, tied to the SEC West, and understands the process and, and how to recruit from his time in multiple uh, Power 5 conferences. So all of that lines up very well. And I actually talked to our uh, Buffalo Bills publisher at Scout who ran into Dunbar a lot while he was on that staff with Rex Ryan, said well-liked by everybody, a guy who's easy to root for, easy to like when you talk to. So that always points to positive recruiting. It absolutely does. And speaking of that, we appreciate the time and the knowledge, John, as always. Let everybody know about your Twitter feeds and, of course, where they can read your stuff. And we know you got to be working on all- That's John Garcia of Scout.com and BamaMag.com, which is the uh- – Site that I also work for, so I love when we get people on from BamaMag.com and was also thrilled to hear that my other co-worker, um, AP7, helped Drew get the interview with Corbin Collins, newest member of the Bama basketball family, that will be airing uh, next hour. And then also next hour we'll hear from William Redfish Barger, an interview he did with Drew earlier this week about Bo Davis and the D-line and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we got a few more minutes left in this hour. I want to go ahead and bring Drew back on and talk a little bit about the uh, importance, uh, which is huge, of this weekend's three-game baseball series at the renovated Sewell Thomas Stadium with Alabama hosting Auburn. Uh, It's a series that Alabama needs to sweep, and I think they can, 
But they have to take two out of three. They have to win the series uh, to remain in contention for a spot in the NCAA tournament. Is that, is that a fair statement, Drew? I know, I know you don't agree with me on the sweep, but is it fair to say they have to win two out of three? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, if they can't win this series, the entire coaching staff's future is probably a, a stamp, which is out of work. And uh, they, uh, they've, they've had a pressure on them this year to produce. It's been an up-and-down year. Uh, right now, you could say they're the fifth-best team in their own state, considering that uh, they lost to Auburn in their only meeting 10-1. to uh, they, They've lost to Samford on a walk-off home run. Uh, Casey Dunn, of course, done a very solid job with that program. Mark Calvey uh, from South Alabama whipped them pretty good. And, uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, they – they they uh, dropped uh, a, a, game, a split a game a series with UAB dropping a game to them the first time and then bouncing back to win. Now they did beat Troy twice uh, and did not play Jacksonville State, but just they've struggled in the midweek uh, and they've struggled with consistency at the plate, hitting in the 240s uh, as a group and uh, they pitched very very well. Even though the, you know I, I would I guess you could say Bramlett may have had his worst outing against Mississippi State last weekend, but they bounced back to, to win game two and then uh, dropped a two-to-one decision in game three. So, you know, it was a little bit um, uh, yeah, disappointing yet again because they've been so close in so many series. Uh, and another disappointing thing, and it, and it goes to show, you know, where they are as a, as a program. Uh, he just led off this inning uh, and, uh, and, and is now at third base. Jake Mangum, and if the last name is uh, familiar to Alabama fans, is John Mangum's son, is hitting 422, playing right field for the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and at one time was a commitment to the University of Alabama and flipped to Mississippi State for obvious reasons. Yeah, can't really blame Jake on that. Um, and, you know, I, my feeling is, and I hate to say this, Drew, because I know we should have higher stands, and, but my gut feeling is if Mitch Gaspar takes this team to the NCAA tournament, even as a three or four on the road, he'll probably keep his job. Should he? I don't think so, but he probably will. But it's not a done deal. They're going to do that. They even have to They have to win there, the series this weekend. There's no extension on the table is all I can tell you. His contract is up. I think that's telling. There's been no discussions from what I've been told. And they're 25 and 20 right now, which is not good enough. No. Um, and, and, you know, right now they would probably be a three seed. But I'm telling you, uh, even if they win, take two out of three from Auburn, and I don't think they can sweep Auburn because Auburn swings the bat too well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this too: people better be, be be wary because they took two out of three at home from Kentucky, almost swept them. Their pitching, their starters, Cole Lipscomb and Justin Camp, their top two have gotten better, and uh, they're you know they only have Mize out of the bullpen pretty much. Their bullpen has not been very good, but they can swing the bats. They may get Palacios back this weekend. This is not going to be easy for Alabama, even at, even at home and even with the way they pitch, because the reason it's not is uh, because of Andy Phillips. And uh, I just they, they just put up a graphic that he had a 36-game hitting streak at Alabama, and, boy, he was a great player. But uh, so sometimes a great player uh, doesn't translate to the coaching profession, and that's what's happened at Alabama. And, unfortunately, uh, you know, Andy, you, you could say it's admirable in a way that, um, Mitch Gaspard has shown loyalty to his assistant coaches, but he's going to end up with the same walking papers in my mind that Anthony Grant got. It's very possible. And on the other side of the campus, you have the number four ranked softball team in the country. 
coached by Patrick Murphy, uh, coming off a series that I really thought they should have swept, but they took two out of three from South Carolina on the road. They're hosting a very good Georgia team this weekend uh, at the Rose House. Uh, to stay in that four position, uh, I think Alabama probably needs to take two out of three from Georgia this weekend. But, again, uh, they play so well at home, Alabama does, that I think two out of three from Georgia, as good as Georgia is, Drew, is very realistic. Well, I mean, the SEC is the best league in America. They may have – they'll have at least 10, maybe 11, depending on what happens with South Carolina teams in the regionals. Uh, they, they, it's just a, t- a tremendously deep league. Texas A&M beat Florida last weekend, but overall they're only 7-14 and 14 in the league. South Carolina took a game from Alabama. They're 6-15. and 15. Both of those teams have very good shots at regionals, especially uh, A&M, who's stayed ranked all year. Uh, it, it's a meat grinder in the SEC. I'm sure Coach Murphy in, in the uh, last home series of the year in the regular season would love to sweep Georgia, but uh, they're going to be hard to sweep. Uh, you know, Winning two out of three I still think would lock up Alabama since they beat Kentucky. A uh, top four seed, and they and I think Kerry, they didn't play in the regular season, but they beat they beat Tennessee in a regular season game. I don't know if that would be the tiebreaker there, but they did beat them six to five. I'm not sure how the tiebreaker works on that, but uh, Alabama, you know, they need to be able to take two out of three from Georgia, and I think they can do that. And then they need to do at least one or two wins uh, in Starkville next week, you know, just to keep momentum going. But the bottom line in women's softball is this. You need to be in the top eight of the RPI to be able to host a super regional. There's no question in anybody's mind that Alabama's going to host another regional. But what they don't need to happen is in 2013, they end up not hosting the super regional, had to go to Knoxville and got beat. They, they need to be hosting both rounds. Uh, and, and, and they've got a great shot at that. They're in line to do that. They just need to stand their ground, stay where they are, and uh, there's no reason to think they won't do that because Patrick Murphy does such a great job over there. We're going to go ahead and take our uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead, Drew. No, I was just going to say one more thing. I, and i got to give kudos to Dax Norris, who's done yeoman's work with the pitching staff. They have a 3.38 team earn run average, and yet their team batting average, I said it was in the 240s, 245. If this team could hit 280, they would be a top-10 team nationally. But it's been so putrid, and Andy Phillips has done such a pathetic job of coaching that uh, they're on the verge of maybe missing a regional and, uh, and, and uh, you know, and the coaching staff being dismissed. But I'll tell you this, I had Matt, Matt Stevens, Matthew Stevens on my show the last three weeks, the Auburn beat writer from the Montgomery Advertiser. He told me something, some eye-opening stuff about Mark Calvey at South Alabama. He said three years ago when he was doing the Mississippi State beat, he felt like Butch Thompson was going to be a head coach in the SEC sooner rather than later. He's now at Auburn setting that foundation. He speaks just as highly of Calvi. He watched them take Auburn apart and said they're one of the more fundamentally sound teams you're ever going to see. So I'm telling you, if Alabama makes a, a coaching change, which I think they should and will, uh, I, of course they need to shoot for the stars with Tim Corbin, but Mark Calvi should be on that short list because South Alabama's got a heck of a program. Well, I think you have to talk it's been a lot of fun on, on campus, so we're clear. The South Alabama <laughs> yes, thing, it's been, it's yeah. been interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, I think they should talk to Donnelly at Louisville. If he says no, then then talk to Calvi. I think Calvi would be a great choice uh, if if that's where it ends up going. He, he certainly would be in an upgrade. So that's good to hear. That's all great information. Uh, let's go ahead and take our one and only break of the evening, and then when we come back, we'll hear uh, from William Redfish Barger. You're listening.
listen to Vans Radio. Rolling down a backwoods, Tennessee byway. One arm on the wheel. Holding my lover with the other. A sweet, soft, southern thrill. Worked hard all week. Got a little jingle. On a Tennessee Saturday night Couldn't feel better I'm together With my Dixieland tonight Spend my dollar Park in a holler Need the mountain moonlight Hold her up tight Make a little loving A little turn of dovin' My life, oh, so right. My Dixieland on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind, homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl, on a Tennessee Saturday night, lucky as a seven. We're back on your listening to Vans Radio, and uh, thank you for listening. It is currently five minutes after the hour if you're listening live, and we hope you are. But we also appreciate our podcast friends. I'm Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew Armand of 97.7, The Zone FM in Huntsville, Alabama, and Thomas Watts, our producer from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We got all parts of the state covered from Huntsville to Mobile with Hoover in between. So we're back, and uh, I guess without further ado, Drew, let's go ahead and let you introduce uh, this interview you did earlier this week with William Redfish Barge, a great fan of Bams Radio. Absolutely, he's a, basically becoming a, a huge part of uh, Bams Radio. Has become a de facto co-host, a kind of a a, a fourth amigo, so to speak. And uh, earlier this week on uh, Talking Ball, I was able to sit down with him and. Uh, also, West Neighbors joined us as uh, we were on location at Diamond Golf Cars and uh, at the foot of Monticello Mountain in Huntsville, Alabama. And it was a great conversation as William and uh, and West broke down the, the, the defense uh, for Alabama uh, out of the spring, kind of position by position, uh, D-line, linebacker, and secondary, and also uh, discussed the Bo Davis situation. But this is that conversation, myself, West Neighbors, and uh, William Redfish Barger. And that is William Redfish Barger. William, how are you doing uh, this afternoon? I'm doing great, Drew. How are you, man? Doing well. And I guess, first of all, I just want to talk to you to start off about the Bo Davis situation. I know you were really high on what he did coming back to Alabama, what he was able to accomplish, both as a coach and recruiter, uh, but really surprising kind of what uh, transpired the last several days. Yeah, you know, you know first and foremost, uh, you know, you got to kind of feel bad for Bo. Uh, 
him. I think he made yeah. some bad decisions, and um, you know those bad decisions led to you know his his dismissal from the program. Um, you know he was the guy that you know I don't think was an integral member of the coaching staff during his first stint. Went off to um, Texas and came back a much better defensive line coach, a much more dynamic recruiter. Um, I think he played a big part um, in you know, Alabama's you know defensive line last year. You know, being one of the the top units in college football, the, the players really you know acclimated to him and, and kind of um, you know his his personality and his demeanor. You kind of saw that on the field every Saturday with with that unit, and uh, you know it, it, it's a loss. Um, you know, hopefully, um, you know. It looks like Carl Dunbar is going to be the next guy that works out. But, you know, there's there's no doubt about it. This was a, a blow to Nick Saban. He, he thought a lot of Bo. And, you know, he's been with him, uh, you know, at LSU with the Dolphins at Alabama two different times. So, um, you know, Coach Saban doesn't keep people around that he doesn't value. But it's certainly a loss. Yeah, it really is. And uh, he, he did a great job for Alabama, as you said, both as a coach and a recruiter. Uh, he, there's been reports that Carl Dunbar would be coming in from the uh, NFL, uh, most recently with the Buffalo Bills, to be the defensive line coach. But there's been no announcement. And we just had Rodney Oron, who I know you know very well, and he was talking to some sources this morning saying that might not be a done deal. Do you have any more on the situation? What are you hearing? I, I haven't heard anything, you know, other than what you have. Um, you know, I know mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, there were some other names late last week. Uh, Tracy Rocker, um, the Georgia defensive line coach, being one of them, but they weren't too optimistic about, you know, getting him to make the switch over from from Athens. So, you know, right now, based on everything that I've heard, I would say that you know Dunbar's the leader in the clubhouse. But, um, you know, he was in town yesterday interviewing for the job. Maybe maybe that didn't go well. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, and so, it, but would you? Do you? Do you I, I talked to John Garcia earlier in the show and. He, they've checked with Josiah Coatney, who still seems to be uh, deciding to commit either Thursday or Friday. Do you think this is a lost cause now for Alabama that he's going to go to Ole Miss, or can they get a defensive line coach in place in enough time to continue to recruit him? You know, I think that was kind of a toss-up, you know, last week when Bo was still in place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from talking to some people close to the Ole Miss program, Coatney um, was over in Oxford this past weekend. Uh, there seems to be a, a degree of confidence in him going to Ole Miss from, from their side. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it's a lost cause, but, you know, based on, you know, them not having a position coach in place right now, I would certainly say if he decides to commit tomorrow or Thursday, I would certainly say, you know, Ole Miss is probably the favorite. Yeah, and, uh, but I know you, you felt like he could be a rotation guy, but you didn't – I guess the best way to put it, he wasn't going to be someone – uh, that was going to be a a front line starter in your mind? No, not at all. I mean, he, I don't see a, a Jaron Reed, you know, in mm-hmm. him, so to speak, a guy that could come in and, and start from day one. Um, I think they were bringing him in for you know more along the lines of depth purposes. You know, a guy that could maybe get you know ten to twelve, fifteen maybe reps a game. Um, you know, to give some guys some relief and, and still you know play at a high level. Um, but, you know, again, I don't think it'll be a huge loss if they don't get him. There's still plenty of good, um, you know, high school prospects out there. Alabama's in on a lot of, you know, defensive end, defensive tackle-type bodies for this recruiting cycle. 
Well, and before we break down some of the defensive side of the ball, and last week we, we went in on a lot of the offense, uh, you know, as we wrapped up spring practice. Of course, we know you follow recruiting very closely. You know, Tua Tagovailoa uh, did commit uh, to the University of Alabama uh, last night uh, around midnight, uh, well, really about around 11.15 uh, before midnight here Central Time. Uh, what is your take on the young man from Hawaii? Uh, we, we knew Alabama wanted to add a quarterback, but I know you've, you've seen some film with him, and I know you were really high on Jalen Hurts from the start last year uh, in Alabama bringing him in. What is your evaluation or, or take on uh, uh, Tua? Um, I like, and I think, you know, mentioning Jalen Hurts in the same sentence is a, is a good comparison. I mean, he is a dual-threat quarterback. Um you know, he's not quite as advanced from a physical standpoint as, as Jalen was going into his senior year. He's not quite as, as big from a body standpoint. But, um, you know, doesn't have a cannon of an arm, but he's very accurate, um, makes a lot of plays with his speed. I think, you know, maybe even Blake Sims uh, might be another, you know, good comparison. You know, when the pocket breaks down, he is able to extend plays very fast. Um, you know, as a passer, the thing that I do, I do like about him, he's got a very quick release, gets the ball out very fast, which I think has kind of become a um, a point of emphasis for, for a Lane Kiffin-type quarterback with the amount of, you know, throws that he asks a quarterback to make out on the perimeter with bubble screens and, and quick throws like that. I think, you know, having a, a quick release is more of a uh, – uh, a want, so to speak, for Lane Kiffin now and a quarterback versus the guy that can, you know, sling it all over the field. Um, so I think it's a good fit. I, I like the fact that they're, you know, moving towards dual threat quarterbacks, uh, you know, versus guys that are, you know, kind of stiffs back there in the pocket. I think that's where the the game, you know, the college football game has been going for several years now. And I, you know, I like the move. That, that tells me that, you know, Coach Saban has had kind of a difficult time at slowing those type of quarterbacks down. And you know, I think at some point in time, as any type of manager, whether it's in football or uh, the private sector, if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. And I think that's where they're at right now, the quarterback position. And now to kind of switch gears and take a look at where defensively Alabama stands. Of course, we know they have not named a defensive line coach. As you said, Carl Dunbar was in town interviewing yesterday. And nothing has been officially announced. We will see if he's the guy or if they've fully decided on who to replace him with. So I guess I'll kind of talk, I'll start from the back and move forward. Uh, what was your take on the secondary and how they kind of ended the spring? Uh, talking to some former you know, people that have spoken to some uh, former players, uh, they're very high on this group. They think he could be the most talented and deepest under uh, Coach Saban, which is saying a lot. They've had a lot of talented secondaries during his time in Tuscaloosa, but this one, uh, from all, when everybody, uh, their take seems to be it has a chance to be a special unit. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at what they've got coming back from last year, you know, some, some proven commodities, obviously Marlon Humphrey, Eddie Jackson, um, you know, Ronnie Harrison is in that group, certainly Minka Fitzpatrick, but I think the best part of the progress that you saw in spring um, was, you know, they've got some guys that they feel like are on the verge of, of joining that group. Um, you know, guys like Anthony Averett took a very positive step forward. Um, you know, Kendall Sheffield has worked himself into a position to where, I um, mean, yeah, I think both he and, and Averett could possibly push for that starting corner role opposite of Marlin 
which would allow them to move Minka back to that nickel role that he excelled at last year. Um, so, you know, they've got some younger guys. And, and, you know, I think they've got another young man coming in this summer. Uh, you know, certainly from a physical standpoint, he's SEC ready. I'm talking about the cornerback uh, from Texas, Jaron Maiden. Um, you know, he's another guy that I think could help um, early this summer. So that's, to me, you know, there's there's three groups on this team position-wise that I think Alabama's in a great situation depth uh, chart-wise, and that's the DBs, the wide receivers, and the offensive line. Yeah, and uh, and I know I agree with you on Maiden. I think he's he's going to come in. He's going to depend on how quickly he learns, but I think he has the physicality and the frame uh, to help them early. But they've got uh, a lot of bodies back there, and, of course, the uncertainty uh, with the Tony Brown situation. Has there, do we know when there might be some clarity there, William? I don't know what the actual you know due date is on them hearing back on the appeal that they filed with the NCAA. Um, you know, if it doesn't work at work out, you know, based on the, the NCAA rule book, um, if you fail a drug test uh, for the first time or street drugs, which are non-performance enhancing drugs, uh, by the NCAA rule book, you're required to sit out 50% of the competition mm-hmm. on the schedule for that particular sport. Um, so, you know, I haven't seen Alabama's schedule. I'm assuming they play 12 regular season games this year. Um, so he would have to sit out six games um, if the appeal. The Redfish, this is Wes Neighbors. I, I I just got here. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Wes is here now here yeah, with us and, down in the golf course. And he, uh, that what I've been hearing is that he's going to miss the first six games. And but what I don't understand is how he's able to run track. If that's the case, is that because he's appealed it? I, you know, Wes, that's a great question. I, you know, I saw, I guess, yesterday that he competed in a track event. That kind of made me pause a little bit, too. Um, and that would be my only logical answer would be that, you know, maybe that falls under the appeals process. Uh, but that being said, you know, if you go back and look, um, you know, at the Will Greer situation with Florida, um, well, that was for a performance-enhancing drug. So maybe that's that is. performance-enhancing. He's out a year. That's not, there's no – Ifs, ands, and buts on that. He was out of, you know. Well, and guys, I will. I did think about this. Could it be that, it, that the suspension would be at the start of the next school year because in track, you know, allowing him to run track in the spring? Well, that that start. I think it starts immediately. I don't know. I think okay, maybe yeah. because it's under appeal, he can run yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. That's all I can think. Uh, but you you look at. Uh, I've been told six games. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, it seemed to me. Um, that he was as improved as any player on the sec- in the secondary. His attitude seemed to be better. I saw Coach uh, Saban over there. Um, when they warm up, he's always after the one he wants to get better the most, and he was after him a lot. Uh, so, um, and it seemed, you know, some mannerisms between coaches, paying attention to him, you know what I'm saying, him playing second string. But yet, the, that, that's a guy that could – could have helped us in the bowl in the bowl game, yes. in in the Clemson game. He's a cover guy that started covering the slot. He was playing in the dime package and doing really well. When he was called to play, he played well. He's a guy that can help Alabama if he'll kind of get his head on right and, and keep it there. I think it's there now, but whether it stays there, that's, that seems to be a bigger challenge. When you get arrested the first day you're there, that's a bad sign. <laughs> well, yeah, there's no doubt. Really. I think what you just described, Wes, is, 
absolutely the case. There's no doubt that he has a special relationship with Nick Saban, um, you know, going all the way back to his sophomore year in high school when his dad suffered a, a life-changing stroke. Um, I think that's the number one reason why he ended up at the University of Alabama was his mother felt like that, you know, Nick was the person that could kind of step in, much in the same way that he has with Ruby Foster and, and kind of serve as that father mentor. Um, you know, apparently, what I've been told, Tony was a model citizen before his father, um, you know, suffered that stroke, and he kind of felt like he lost his best friend and his father in the, in the same deal. And so, you know, obviously the kid's had some tough circumstances that he has to overcome, but like we all know, he's, a, he's not a kid anymore. He's a young man, and, uh, you know, he's got to fall in line and do things the way that they ask you to do them in that program. And, you know, maybe the change with, you know, Jeremy Pruitt is the defensive coordinator and Derek Ainsley, you know, back there working with him, you know, along with Coach Saban with the DBs now, maybe that can have an impact. Like you said, I mean, you saw in the spring game, um, that is one difference schematically between Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart. Jeremy likes to bring, you know, safeties and corners and situational blitzes. Um, you saw Tony come off the edge, and he was kind of the reason that, that Cooper Bateman uh, rushed that throw and, and threw it into a bad spot there in the corner of the end zone. You know, he's a guy that has, you know, four three speeds. You can imagine when he comes off the edge, he can get to the quarterback very quickly. But I agree with you. He could be a very instrumental part of that defense, maybe even, you know, a starter this year if they could get that appeal worked out. Uh, but, you know, at this stage in the game, I think it's more prudent for Alabama fans to kind of hope that Tony, you know, starts making better decisions and, and turns his life around off the field um, and can be a part of that program. And, and, you know, whether it's football or track, uh, I mean, I think the kid's got a bright future in, in whatever sport he decides to pursue, but he's got to start being a better citizen off the field. And then you go to, um, you know, and I hate to to talk about the negative things because there's so much positive, but let's not kid ourselves. Bo Davis was loved and, and cherished and then made a difference with our defensive line and the things they were doing. Um, how concerned are you that he's not no longer there? Well, we, we talked about this before you jumped on, and, you know, the best way I, I you know, put it to Drew, it's, it's a loss and uh, probably more significant than a lot of people want to admit. Um, he was a great recruiter. Um, you know, I touched on this with Drew. Um, you know, since he's come back from Texas, I think he's really elevated himself as an X's and O's coach. And uh, But probably the more important thing, which you touched on, Wes, he was a guy that the players really respected. They were drawn to him. He spent a lot of time with his guys off the field. So, you know, they were willing to lay it on the line for him when it came to, uh, you know, crunch time in games. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see whoever the higher ends up being. Um, I have no doubt that whoever, you know, Coach Saban brings in will be a great teacher. Uh, but it's those intangibles away from the football field that you have to worry about. Can, can he fill that void um, that's been you know been put in place by Bo's departure? And, and then you uh, can see how magical, just on the draft, the fact that Ashawn Robinson went back after being in the green room until his friend was drafted. Yeah, I mean that that's that's something that you that's you know instilled in you. Yeah, I mean it's not. You know, the way those guys react to each other, unselfish. Mm -hmm. I mean, there wasn't any fighting for playing time. Everybody knew their role, 
and they went out and did it. And that's what made this team special was the defensive line. Yeah, and I wanted William. I know it's kind of hard right now because they don't have a position coach, and Carl Dunbar sounds like he could be a fit, but as we know, he's not been officially named. But with what you saw in the spring and the, and the material they've got back, what, what are your thoughts on the defensive line as a unit for whoever may coach them? Well, you know, it's really kind of hard to say because, in my opinion, last year Alabama's most productive defensive lineman from a statistical standpoint was Jonathan Allen. Um, yeah. He could slide down inside and play the three technique, which he's going to be asked to do a lot more this year. Obviously, Alabama's got their, you know, their pass rushing core um, is going to be phenomenal with their edge rushers, but they got to have a guy that can collapse the pocket from the inside. And, you know, Jonathan Allen was not a full-time starter last year, but yet managed to be the team's leading sacker with 12 and a half sacks. So, you know, to me, without seeing what he brought to the table in the spring, it's kind of hard to say, well, you know, this unit's going to be as good as last year or it's not. I'll just say this, just based on what they have coming back, it wouldn't surprise me to see them maybe take a step backwards, a slight step backwards against run-heavy teams you know, like an LSU or an Arkansas, just because they don't have a lot of proven big-bodied guys like Sean and Reed inside. Um, it's kind of... You know, yeah, they call them the... Uh, I tell you, Phil Savage called them the Triangle of Death. <laughs> That's what they were. Um, you know, that, that LSU game last year is the one that I kind of point to. Everybody, you know, makes a big deal about Leonard Fournette, you know, in his Heisman Trophy campaign you know, being derailed last year against Alabama West. But Deron Payne single-handedly derailed Ethan Postick's Remington campaign. There's no question. <laughs> There's no question. You know what? And I called that before the game because I'm friends with Ethan. Find, they got to find one more guy that, that can, you know, kind of play at a at a consistent level with Payne on the inside, in my opinion, if they want to keep that, that nasty run defense in place like they had last year. <laughs> You know, and I and I think uh, Deshaun Hand, although he plays uh, outside a lot, and, and, and he, that guy could be special. Um, he's he's almost there, I think, and, and and he's gotten bigger. And 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 the thing about Deron Payne, I think you'll see last year, which is what they're so excited about him this spring, in talking with the coaches, is that last year he you know he could uh, occupy the guy, keep him occupied. In this spring, he was shedding them and making the play, and that's a whole. Ne- that's that's where you get from, you know, a guy being a run stopper to uh, by himself. And Deron Payne has a chance to be very special. And you know what hurt? I think what hurt Ashawn Robinson much in the draft is you watch him play, and yeah, he he is one. He's a run stuffer, but he doesn't make a lot of plays. And and I, that I was totally the negative thing. That's what he. That's why he dropped to number two. Should he drop to number two? I think in the end he'll prove him wrong. But that's what you know. What he was designed to do was make Reggie make the plays. I mean, yep. he's you know stop the take the guard and the tackle and or the center and the guard and, and Reggie's going to fill the gap and make the plays and that's what it was all about and he did his role perfect. Um, but I think Deron Payne has the strength in his. It's just something about his explosiveness. Off the ball, that it's just—it's it, intimidating when you watch. Having been a former uh, center and you being a guard, you know the guys that catch. I always could block those guys. It's the guys that come off the ball like Reggie White and engage you that can be a real problem. 
well, and that's when Drew and I were talking about this after the A-Day game was over with, and he was asking my thoughts. And I said, well, my first thought is I would imagine that Ross Pierce-Bocker and uh, Brandon Kennedy and Lester Cotton are glad they've got six months off of having to deal with Deron Payne every other day in practice. And that's why I think it's so important, whether it's Joshua Frazier or Kendall Jones or, or Raquan Davis, if they can just find somebody to come in and, and do what you said, you know, occupy that, that zero gap as a nose guard and, you know, move Payne outside and run situations where he can be that Sean Robinson or, or Jaron Reed from last year because he does have uh, some, some Marcel Darius, like quick twitch ability. Um, I think that's going to be the, the key for this defense to, you know, live up to last year's lofty standards. Like you said, um, you know, playing guys that catch and just want to occupy you is one thing. Uh, when you've got somebody that can stand you up at the line of scrimmage, you know, get rid of you and go sideline to sideline in the tackle box to make a play, that that's a big difference. And you call that uh, 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 quick, uh, quick, quick twitch, quick twitch. I call it kick ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> kick your ass. That's, and, that's what it ought to be called because that's what because the people you name can kick your ass. Well, and speaking of kicking ass, Wessel likes this transition. But we're going we're going to end by talking about the linebackers. And uh, I was really encouraged by Rashawn Evans' move to the inside. But I think we all know. Uh, that Tim Williams has a chance to evolve into a top ten draft pick, as Wes has been calling uh, for a couple of years now. William, just your take. I think this. I know there's not a lot of depth inside, but I think they've got four guys they like, and then the outside linebackers. There seems to be a lot of talent there, and the starters, Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams, could be the best of the Saban era. Yeah, I think they're set at the outside linebacker spot. You know, they've got they got Ryan and Tim coming back. You know, Anthony Jennings. You know, really flashed and showed up and looked like he's ready to you know, take that next step. Um, you know, Christian Miller, from a pass rushing standpoint, I think is there. He still has to, you know, get better. He's kind of in the same situation I think Tim Williams was um, last last year. year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's got to get a little bit bigger and stronger at the point of attack and become more of a three down player. But but what the depth? But you know, but I, I'll be okay with him. What, think about this though: if he just does what he does. They never blocked him. I mean, you know, they might have gotten his way a little bit. He was either getting his way a little. He he puts pressure on his quarterback because you can have him block, and he reach, reaches over one of, the, one of those tentacles, what I call them, those arms he has, and he can still sack the quarterback. He has the longest arms. I hate playing against people with long arms like that. <laughs> well, but I mean, you're I've sitting there trying to pass block a guy, you know, and you can't even touch him. I've never seen him. You know, get a lot of sacks, but I have seen him do it. every every practice and scrimmage that I've been to since he's been there for three years now. Um, I've heard two or three thuds every time I've been there, and you look out there, and it's him reaching up with one of those tentacles and knocking the football down at the line of scrimmage. Um, but, but you know, I think inside there is a little bit of concern with the depth situation. Um, you know, you've got you know Reuben Foster, Rashawn Evans, and Sean Dion Hamilton. Um, that, you know, I think they feel pretty good about. I think Keith Holcomb is kind of the other guy that they do kind of have a warm and fuzzy feeling about, but there's some concern that some of the younger linebackers um, that they brought in last year aren't quite ready. Um, there's a lot of talk that, you know, Ben Davis needs to be ready to go right out of the gate um, to, you know, provide some depth. They're certainly not expecting him to push for a starting position. But they do expect him, and they're counting on him to come in and play, you know, early and often. 
And I think that's why you're going to see them place a premium, you know, on inside linebackers in this recruiting class. They've already got the number one inside line, JUCO inside linebacker uh, committed for this class, Gary Johnson. Uh, you know, they're chasing after Dylan Mose, the five-star linebacker prospect from Louisiana. You've got a couple of in-state guys here that they're, they're pursuing very heavily. Uh, one of them could make an announcement at the end of this week, talking about T.D. Moultrie, the linebacker from here in Birmingham. And, and also, you know, you've got a guy that's moved back home up there to the Huntsville area, and Will Ignat It's a big part of their plans as well. And, and you look, I know they're counting on Ben Davis in a big way. and Yeah, those guys look like uh, they were lost, little, like little Bo Pete lost a sheep. I mean, they look like the sheep that she lost. Uh, and, and but that's that you know that's to be expected. Um, uh, I was I'm really impressed. First of all, in the off season, um, they taught Reuben Foster how to catch. He actually caught the ball. <laughs> of course, he didn't have a broken hand. I understand he had it one all. But how many interceptions did he drop last year? Think about it. I mean, he couldn't. He he actually caught one, and the whole the whole defense in in a scrimmage. Ran down and congratulated. Oh yeah, and but the biggest thing, and William has made a point of this, is how much he's improved in coverage. Oh yeah, coverage and just his, his everything. He knows he's being a leader of that defense, and 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 he we're getting carryover from the leadership from Reggie Ragland and Nashawn Robinson, and it, it's his time, and he knows it, and, and very impressive for a guy that a lot of people, including myself, what didn't wondered if he'd make it through if he didn't kill himself trying. <laughs> Before you know, by ducking his head and all the the uh, all the things he do, but he will knock the dog out of you. But now he played under control. What I like is how coached up this, the defense have gotten in the last two years. I don't know if you've noticed that Redfish is just their techniques is is ten times better than it was two years ago. It is, and I think you know the the key for that inside linebacker group going into the season this year, and, and you know it really stood out to me. You kind of saw him. Uh, really coming along in the national championship game, playing that inside linebacker spot more as a spy guy um, that would come on some delayed blitzes or if the quarterback made the decision to run. He's got such game-changing speed in a short span, talking about Rashawn Evans. But the thing that I saw out of him, and that's why I think it's so important for uh, Jeremy Pruitt to get him up to speed by the USC game, if you go back and, and watch the A-Day game, he was able to take away by dropping so fast into coverage the biggest weakness I've seen out of Nick Saban's defense since he's been at Alabama. And that's the, the 15 to 20 yard passes over the middle that have always been there for the taking because Alabama's linebackers have typically been a little bit heavy legged and slow to drop into coverage twice, maybe even three times. In that A-Day game, I saw Alabama's quarterbacks, when they were you know, going through their progressions, they saw that wide receiver coming across the middle, and they said, look, there it is. And when they let that ball go, Rashawn is so fast and got so deep into his drops. He had one that should have been an interception and two more that he batted away. And I think, you know, because they get into the schedule and start playing some of these spread teams, um, you know, they kind of have that, that quick passing game where the quarterback likes to get rid of the ball. I think he could be a guy that could become a difference. They're very excited, Redfish. Yep. Very excited about him. Very excited about and, what he could be. And what be. would be so unique about it, uh, which I know will drive our friends across the state crazy, 
is when they announced the starting lineups against these spread teams and two former Auburn High School graduates are the two starting inside linebackers for the University of Alabama. Yeah, well, it already got Tim Carter fired, and he ended up landing on his feet at Fairhope, though. <laughs> but uh, uh, still making really good money at a great place uh, in South Alabama. But, William, we always appreciate the time, my friend, breaking it down and talking Crimson Tide. Great stuff. We can sit here and talk for another hour. But thank you for your time this afternoon. And, uh, really That's William Redfish Barger, Drew DeArmond, and former Alabama center, West Neighbors. Uh, quite a panel there breaking down the Alabama defense coming out of spring and talking about Bo Davis. Thanks again to the good folks at 97.7 The Zone FM for sharing that audio with us here on Band Radio. I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BoundMag.com, joined again now by Drew Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone and Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And, Drew, uh, we still got a little bit of time left, and, and it's time for us to turn the tables over now and talk a little bit about basketball. A, um, before we get to the next interview, I want to talk a little bit about recruiting with you. Uh, a rumor surfaced this afternoon that um, – Alex Reese of Pelham, 6'9", 225, uh, power forward, had committed to Alabama on a visit to Tuscaloosa today. That got debunked, uh, and I put debunked in quotes because some of the people that investigated it after it got out were told by the Alabama staff that it didn't happen. But I kind of translated that to mean, Drew, that it didn't happen publicly. Well, I... From what I understand, he visited with his girlfriend yesterday, and um, I think it went very well. I think things have been trending in Alabama's favor for a while. I know his cousin, Quentin Reese, went to Auburn and played football, but uh, he's got a girlfriend at UAB, and I've always been told that Antoine Petway had done really good work with him and his mother, and he's been a frequent visitor to the university. Um, I think that uh, they have a very good shot to land him. Uh, and, I, and I also feel like when they uh, eventually offer Herb Jones, and I feel like that will happen, that they've got a really good shot at Herb as well. Overall, they've offered a lot of 2017s. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think the 2017 class is going to be a monster. Uh, and that's whether or not they sign Garrison Brooks of Auburn higher. And, you know, they, they, I, I think they've got their irons in the fire with several forwards. They'd like to have Garrison. Uh, but, you know, I talked to Garrett Tucker recently on my show, Talking Ball, and he feels like Georgia's probably got the lead. Uh, for the Auburn High School power forward, but I think there's a long way to go. I think Alabama's still got a really good shot at him as well, and um, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm still not convinced that they're going to take, you know, Jamal Johnson, Buck Johnson's son, because they're in on a lot of good guards uh, that they're recruiting, including Colin Sexton, who recently visited as well. Uh, They're really doing a lot of good work, and I'm still uh, very, very optimistic about John Petty. I think he's the, uh, the the bell cow of the whole deal. And I just think overall they've done a lot. Of, they've, they've laid a, a strong foundation for uh, this uh, for this 2017 class. And I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens with Daniel Giddens, who visited. We mentioned him earlier in the program, the 6'10 post player uh, from uh, the same high school uh, in, uh, in uh, Georgia that produced uh, Jamario Davidson, uh, Marietta Wheeler, I believe, Giddens. He spent his freshman year uh, at Ohio State. Uh, he's got Alabama in his Final Four, and I think John Pelfrey has a deep connection with him. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, they can bring Giddens in. Uh, and, and he'd have to sit out, unfortunately, 
but and I've still been told also that there could be another graduate transfer in the mix. So we'll have to see. And I, as far as I know, Kerry, I don't think LG Gill from Duquesne has made up his mind yet. Yeah, but he doesn't seem like he's uh, going to visit Alabama, so I'm not going to get my hopes well, up. Well, we'll see him. because Daniel Giddens wasn't thought to either. And, you know, he ended up on campus. I mean, I, 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 right now it doesn't look that way, but things can change. Uh, there's even rumors about another tra- uh, uh, player that hasn't announced he's transferring yet that Alabama may be in, in on. Uh, though I did uh, do a little bit of recon today, Kerry, and uh, during the show because I'm sure you probably saw it uh, go across Twitter. Uh, but earlier this afternoon, and uh, I saw him play last year uh, at the regionals, and then they won the state championship. But Dylan Smith, the, the former guard at Hoover, who went to UNC Asheville and averaged 14 points per game to lead their team, announced he was transferring. But as of today, he had not been contacted, he told me, by the University of Alabama, but would be very interested if so. But he would also have to sit out. So I don't – honestly, I don't think he's likely – uh, to be someone that they look to. If they if there's another kid that comes up, I think it's going to be another grad transfer. Yeah, I don't know if you ever read Tide Sports, uh, but one of their uh, basketball posters brought that up. Uh, and Cecil quickly said, I think Avery's got his uh, sights set a little higher than the number five player in Alabama come out of high school transfer from the Asheville. So. Yeah, he, he, just, I, he, he would be very interested, but I, I just – it, with with the circumstance, he's not a fifth year transfer, and with him having to sit out, uh, I, now he, he, could he end up at UAB? That wouldn't shock me. Oh yes, he definitely could. Yes, he could. Yeah, but but uh, yeah. I don't I don't think he'll end up at Alabama. And I want to say that I respectfully disagree with uh, Garrett Tucker and his uh, information on Garrison Brooks because uh, one of the posters on the one of the Bama websites uh, went to high school with. Garrison's mom, and she told him face to face that it was 95 percent Bama. So um, the only way I don't think Alabama gets him is if he makes up his mind that he doesn't want to play with Reese. But the way Avery runs his offense, there's no reason they couldn't play together. Uh, Reese is more of a stretch four, whereas Garrison is more of a inside down low low post guy. Well, as I said, you know, there's a long way to go, and uh, just a few weeks ago. Many, uh, it was being reported that uh, that Alex Reese was leaning to Auburn, which I never really bought as the case, and I thought Alabama had a very good shot. As I said, I think Alabama has a very good shot uh, it, uh, it, it, at, uh, at, 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 him, at the young man as well, at Garrison Brooks, and I think they've got a good shot at John Petty. I think they're going to you know, basically get who they want in state. I do know that Austin Wiley is going to go to Auburn, and it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if Jamal ends up at Auburn with him, which is fine with me, honestly. Uh, but I just think, uh, but I think Alabama is going to have a monster 2017 class, and yeah. I think, uh, and I, and I think it'll be top ten, maybe top five. You know, all that's conjecture. Uh, but it, I'm I'm more interested all right now in seeing who they add. I'd like to see them be able to get one more you know, grad transfer post guy that can come in and play, or at least Giddens. If Giddens can uh, at least practice with the team, uh, he's a very athletic kid. You know, you watch his high school tape, he's outstanding. And then I'm really excited. We're going to hear from him in just a few minutes. But Corbin Collins, I think he's a really good fit, and I think everyone's going to enjoy the conversation. Uh, I think he's really uh, going to be an upgrade over what they had. He, he, I think he's a bigger, stronger kid than Justin Coleman, a more consistent shooter, and, 
a better playmaker overall. And we wish Justin all the luck in the world. He's a class kid going to Sanford. But he's going to Sanford. Michael Kessens is going to FIU. That should tell you all you need to know. Yeah, and there's a lot of Alabama fans that seem to think, and I don't know how you feel about this, Drew, but there's some fans that seem to think Alabama is still recruiting Quay Johnson, a Washington State transfer, a two-guard. I, 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 I'm going to debunk that right now because I think the way that Alabama got Corbin Collins, Drew, was to promise him minutes at the one and the two. Therefore, uh, I don't think there's another guard in this class. Well, the only reason I say that I, I wouldn't completely debunk it is because when you look at Alabama's roster overall, Kerry, uh, with what they have left, I mean, you can uh, they can play uh, B.A., Brandon Austin, off the ball, but they don't have a lot of guards. They've got Dazon Ingram, and now they've got Corbin Collins. But overall, they just don't have a lot of guards uh, on the team, and that that's why, you know, it's possible. I wouldn't completely debunk it. I, I, I don't think it's likely. Uh, that's why you saw J.C. Hampton end up at Texas A&M, and he canceled his visit uh, right after the announcement of Corbin Collins because he knew that uh, that Collins was going to get those minutes. And I like Collins better because he's a bigger, more physical kid. He also spent a year at LSU, so he's more familiar, you know, with the SEC. But overall, uh, you could I could still see them adding a shooter, perhaps, but. Again, they just don't have that many guards on the squad. Though Riley Norris, in a pinch, could play in the backcourt. And, of course, Lawson Schaefer, the walk-on. But uh, you, would, you wouldn't mind having one more shooter. But it just depends on the, uh, the, the, the progress of Brandon Austin, who I still think can become a viable player in the rotation next year. I still think he has the athleticism and uh, has a chance to be a good shooter. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it all lands. But I think overall that uh, – and, of course, Avery Johnson, Jr. will be on the team. And I still think he'll be the backup point guard. So, you've got four guards on the team. But Q Johnson could add some shooting. But I still think you're right. I think more than likely it's going to be a post player of some uh, ilk. And Avery Johnson has been on the record many times as saying they wanted to add two pieces. And I still think that's the case. And they've added one and now one more to go. And I believe this next man, young man we're about to hear from, Drew, I believe he's going to be the backup at the one and the two this next season. But go ahead and introduce the, uh, this exclusive interview that you got, Drew, with the newest member of the Alabama basketball family. Absolutely. And, again, want to thank a friend of this show, and he's been a, a guest on multiple occasions, Arnold A.P. Stedham, for helping me coordinate this and set this up. But we were honored today on Talking Ball earlier uh, this morning and this afternoon to be joined by the newest member of the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball family, Corbin Collins, formerly of Moorhead State University. We are honored to be joined now by the newest member of the Alabama Crimson Tide basketball program, Corbin Collins, formerly of Moorhead State University. Corbin, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing just fine, but still. Doing well, and I want to thank you for taking a few minutes. I know it's been a very busy time for you in deciding on your future and where to uh, conclude your basketball career on the college level. I guess for our listeners who may not be as familiar, kind of talk about your journey and how you got to this point. Uh, it's, it's been a, a pretty a pretty different journey, I should say, saying this is my, my third school in, in the past five years. But, I mean, it's, it's been enjoyable. I was able. I've been able to be in the SEC out of high school, by the way of LSU, and then I transferred out of there and went to Morehead State and played two years there. And now I found myself at uh, Alabama for my last year. And then you had uh, success under Sean Woods, the former 
unforgettable, the Kentucky guard at Moorhead State, and help them improve their program in his tenure there, coming off a, a CBI runner-up finish, a 23-14 and 14 record, and you were second-team Ohio Valley Conference, averaging double figures, were one of the leading three-point shooters in the league. What made you want to move on for your final season? I just felt like it was the best decision for me going forth for my future. Uh, just, I was able to do a lot of things at Moorhead under uh, Coach Woods. He helped me grow as a man and as a basketball player, and I just felt like I was I was in a position to move forward with the things that he taught me and, uh, and take it somewhere else. And, Corbin, I, I wonder, you had the, uh, you, uh, the freshman year at LSU – it, was there part of you that kind of wanted to to finish what you started and play in a Power Five league on the highest level? Uh, yeah, I feel like it was a little bit that played into it. Uh, I'm a very competitive guy, so I felt like that's the level that I should have been playing at my whole college career. And with the opportunity that that came forth for me to say go back to it, it's something that I, I couldn't turn down. And now that with the the advent of these fifth year transfers and how it's become such a part of the fabric of college basketball. Uh, kind of take us through when you decided to uh, to seek your release and move on. What went, what went through your thought process when you were choosing a school? Uh, with this, this process, was a little bit different than my first two because, as you know, I'm going to pursue my master's and I only have one year. Mm. So with the schools, I, I, I narrowed it down pretty easily because all the schools, only, the only schools that I was – I was interested in were the ones that I can come in and impact right away and play a major role uh, and feel just a void that they needed, a void that I could feel. And so I went through the process of the, the three schools that I narrowed it down to. Basketball-wise, they all needed me for the same thing. But for this for this, uh, for this this year, I just knew that I needed to feel it in my heart and my spirit that it had to be the right fit, the right place for me. And so going to all my visits, I didn't really get that feeling until I, I, I touched uh, – Put onto uh, Alabama's campus, and once I did that, I just felt it in my heart, felt it in my spirit. That's where I was supposed to be. I had my family there, my parents, uh, my mentors there with me, and I was just, I was able to, to feed off of them. They felt, they felt that that was the right fit for me as well, and they know me better than anybody. So, just in my heart and my spirit, I felt like that was the right fit, and I just went with. It. And and for the listeners who may not know, what were the other visits you went on before Alabama, Corbin? I went to University of Central Florida and Mississippi State. And, of course, Central Florida had added Coach Johnny Dawkins, and Ben Howland has done an outstanding job in year one at Mississippi State. But Avery Johnson, coming from the NBA, has laid the foundation in his first year at Alabama. I know you were concentrating on your squad under Coach Woods with the, the, the Moorhead State Eagles, but had you followed Alabama at all in their in their seat and in, in what they had accomplished this season? Not, not necessarily during the season. But once I uh, got my release and I started looking at schools, I really watched a lot of film and studied their games and studied how uh, Coach Johnson allowed his guys to play and everything. And I just felt like that was a great fit for me. And also just building that relationship with him doing throughout the uh, recruiting process with him and his whole staff, actually. And then once I was able to get on campus and meet the guys and hang out with the guys a little bit, and we were able to gel and click really fast. So I was like, that really put an ice on the cake. Well, yeah, these are the type of guys that I want to spend my last year with. And then, uh, Corbin, I know usually there's a connection in some form or fashion uh, to a program when you decide to transfer there. What was your connection to Alabama? Uh, it, it really wasn't. It really wasn't a connection. I just 
It just happened that I came up on the radar and it was just something that they needed. And they reached out and we just built their relationship from there. And Avery Johnson, I'm sure you, you uh, once you started studying the roster, uh, you, you saw that they had uh, success already with with a fifth year graduate transfer uh, in, in in Arthur Edwards last year. He had his best year of his career under Avery Johnson. Was that part of your decision? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Him and Brett Obasan, both of those guys. I saw how Coach Johnson only had one year with both of those guys, and the level that they were playing at this year was just uh, incredible compared to last year. And I just know that under Coach Johnson, he can help me improve my game and get me playing at a, at a higher level. And so that that definitely played a big a big factor in me uh, choosing to come to Alabama. And in, in talk about that, they've lost Justin Coleman to a transfer. Uh, obviously, Dazon Ingram is coming off a foot injury where he missed the majority of his freshman season. What kind of role did Coach Johnson talk to you about and envision? Uh, this with me being a a veteran guy, a future guy who who's played a lot of college basketball, who's played on the highest level before, uh, just come in and impact right away. Come in and bring uh, that that veteran leadership that that uh, that the older guy. Because uh, like you said with Dayzine, he didn't play much last year, so I can help him out. I can show him the ropes and show show some of the younger guys the ropes and, and what it is that needs to be done, but. He's he's looking for me to come in and, and impact and play a, a significant role from day one. Come in and, and, and be one of those guys for the team and be uh, and play a major role for the team and for the success going forward. And I know you haven't had a lot of chance to be on the court with him uh, very very much, if at all, yet. But you, and you have studied it and you got a chance to meet them. And as you said, you clicked right away. Your thoughts on the returning personnel for Alabama? Uh, we got a good squad coming. Uh, we got a lot of pieces in, uh, in every position. We got guys that, that are hungry, guys with chips on their shoulders, guys that, that want it. And so we got we put that together with the coaching staff that we have and the mindset of the guys. It, 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 can, it can be really special. And I wanted to ask you, you've begun to build that relationship, and uh, you, you talked about it when your family and, and yourself uh, and your mentor came on the visit. But talk about – how what you're building with Avery Johnson and how you see yourself. He obviously played your position. He was a point guard, as was Sean Woods. And I know that has to be something that's exciting for you and the fact that he, he's played and coached at the highest level. Definitely, man. I'm, I'm a student of the game. And just being under someone suitless who has played at the highest level at the position that I play and has coached at the highest level, so he knows what it takes. So uh, I just want to learn everything I possibly can. Uh, like I said, I'm a student of the game, so I'm, I'm going to be asking them a lot of questions. We already pretty much talk just about every day right now. And so I can't imagine when I'm on campus when I'm I'm right there with them. I can just go to his office and ask him questions, break down film, watch film of other guys, and just learn as much as possible in this year. And that's the thing with Alabama. It's just not – I'm not just part of the family for a year, but I'm part of the Prince Tire family for a lifetime now. And so – that, that that definitely stuck out to me as well. And then uh, many don't uh, have not interacted with the rest of the staff. I've been fortunate to meet um, you know, Bob Simon, who I was very impressed with. I have yet to meet Coach Pelfrey, but I know of his history. 
and uh, as a player and a coach and what he's accomplished. I do know Antoine Petway well. He actually played in this city uh, when his, for his pro career with the Huntsville Flight. That's how I met him personally and followed his career before that at Alabama. But kind of talk about your kind of your interaction and your relationship with the other coaches on the staff. Man, those guys are great. They uh, they definitely just welcomed me with open arms coming into the whole situation. Uh, Petway was actually the one who recruited me the most. And so we built, we built a really strong uh, foundation and strong relationship. So we're really close with the other guys, man. They're, they're wonderful. Uh, they, like you said, they know the game of basketball. They, they know what they're talking about. They know uh, what, what to look for. And they just, they've been keeping in contact with me. They've been checking up on me. They're, they're, they're ultra excited that I'm, I'm joining the team. And they're, they're great guys. I mean, I'm really looking forward to picking their brains as well and learning as much as possible from those guys and, and being mentored by those guys as well. And just now, you've got to be super excited for your chance to play in the SEC uh, for your final season. What, what Tell the, our listeners about your skill set and what you're going to bring to the table for this tie team in your mind. Uh, just, I'm a leader. Uh Experienced guy, I can score it. I can pass it. I just, I, I, I can put my game in a nutshell as a winner. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to help my team win. So whatever, whatever, whatever it needs that night for me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the best of my ability to help put us in the best situation to come out with a victory. And then you talked about, you know, having to get your graduate degree. What are you planning on getting that in? And I know that had to play a role also to to have that available at the, at the particular at the at the university you wanted to transfer to. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm actually looking at going into a dual degree where it's both sport management and business. So I'm looking at uh, doing that and pursuing that for a master's degree. And then I, I know Alabama's got one of the better business schools in the country. Uh, they all have, uh, you know, have many. I've had many friends and know many people that have graduated from the School of Business. Uh, on the academic side, how, how how was that experience for you on the visit? Uh, it, was, it was great. I was able to sit down with some of the uh, academic personnel that help out with the athletes and just showing, just seeing how dedicated those those guys were to helping the kids be successful in the class. Because that's a big thing, as you know. I've already received my. Uh, my degree at Moorhead and so just moving on forward just being able to to leave there possibly next year with another degree that's that's really big and I, I was able to see how the personnel there in the, uh, on the education side they were really dedicated and really wanted the guys to see and I just know with my work ethic and how I how I vision myself I can see us working together really well to get things done and I know uh, you're excited to join the Tide team. When will you uh, officially uh, enroll and uh, be participating in on-court activities with Alabama Corbin? And 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 finally, the last question: uh, Are you, are you going to get your number three? Uh, I'll be there uh, starting the first section of summer school. So here at the end of this month, going into the beginning of June, I'll be there. And uh, and yes, I'll still be wearing number three. C three, baby. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's excited to see the impact you're going to have on this team. And uh, Alabama was just a couple of uh, wins shy, really, of the NCAA tournament last year, Corbin, as I'm sure you've learned. And I guess is that That's Corbin Collins talking to Judy Armand on Talking Ball. And again, we thank 97.7 to Zoe Thompson for letting us air that uh, really well-spoken young man and great questions by Drew. 
And I wanted to uh, get in a plug for something uh, before we go. Two things quickly. Asian Rim is uh, giving free desserts to moms this weekend. So uh, go to AsianRim.com and book your lunch or dinner reservation. And also, here in Birmingham tomorrow night, as they did in Huntsville uh, a few weeks back, there's going to be a fundraiser for Kerry Good and his fight with ALS. Uh, it's called A Night with a Legend. It'll be starting at 7 o'clock tomorrow night at Cigars and More, Patton Creek. Some of the guests include Kerry and Chris Good, Antonio Langham, David Palmer, uh, John Parker Wilson, Antonio London, Bobby Humphrey, Bill Searcy, Pierre Good, Dexter McLeon, there's a blast from that, and many more. So uh, that is a $20 addition fee. It's food, two cigars, benefits Kerry Good and his title ALS. That's cigars and more. Patton Creek Shopping Center, Hoover, Alabama, tomorrow night, starting at 7 p.m. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of BAMS Radio. We want to thank everyone again for listening, whether you're live or on the podcast. For Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm your co-host, Terry Clark of AlabamaMag.com. Thanks for joining us here on BAMS Radio. Uh, Have a great weekend.